And once they're saturated, a very small amount coming in per day can maintain uh, those uh, beneficial levels, allowing the individual to exercise potentially at a higher capacity. And as we know, if the individual can exercise at a higher training uh, capacity, more intense, uh, they may be able to do more repetitions, run faster, whichever, that could lead to these physiological adaptations. And the most prevalent, obviously, is most individuals increase muscle mass, um, increase muscle uh, performance, primarily strength, and there's some evidence it can decrease body fat. Kia ora friends, welcome to the Vegan Body Coach Podcast. That was Dr. Darren Kandel. And on today's show, it's finally time to talk about creatine. Should vegans bother with it? Is it safe? How much is effective? What about hair loss? And everything else you need to know to convince your mum it's not a steroid. If you're a long-time listener, welcome back. I'm super stoked to have you again. Seriously, there is no point me uploading these if people aren't listening. So thank you. If you're a brand new VBC listener, welcome aboard. I'm convinced you will gain so much value from these conversations. My name is Jackson Burton. I'm a personal trainer, nutritionist, and gym owner here in Auckland, New Zealand. If you're truly after evidence-based information from rational experts in various fields, then you are in for a treat, as I don't muck around with guest selection. Before we dive in, something brand new to share from me. Often the questions I'm asked and the common problems I see with clients I work with can be answered with some clear explanations on energy balance, protein selection, training effectiveness, and smart supplementation. So I've created a brand new mini course to do just that. The five pillars of body composition, the simple steps to optimize fat loss and muscle gain on a plant-based diet. So this course is designed for those that have a physique goal, but just haven't quite figured out how to put all the puzzle pieces together yet. Inside the course, I cover number one, why calories matter and how to calculate yours for both cutting and gaining, why we need protein for body composition change, what plans to focus on and how much you actually need, how to optimize muscle growth in the gym, how much to train, how to progress, when to take a break and how to actually measure your progress, how to set up your eating patterns so that you optimize health while optimizing your physique. And lastly, supplements, the only essential subs you need for performance and health. So the course comes wrapped up in a super cool five lesson structure and I add in a final TLDR to give you some clear actionable take homes. Plus, I provide you a list of extra resources to help you further understand the concepts covered within the course. And to make it all that much sweeter, you'll gain access to our private members group, Vegan Body Club. Here I post weekly training and nutrition tips, a monthly topic of focus, and you can connect with our current members and gain insight from their journeys. It's our own little private space on the internet. So guys, this is some of the best content I've put out to date, and I would think it would suit anyone currently stuck in their fitness journey, uh, you know, tired of the confusion around what to eat, how much protein, how to train, and what supplements are actually worth your dollars. It's all available now, and it's at a super low price. I'm confident anyone will be able to afford this one. So you can grab it now or grab it 
after you've finished this episode, I'll leave a link in the description. All right, enough with the boring sales pitch. You're here to learn about creatine and why you're losing all your hair. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Where am I? This is Dr. Darren Kandow on creatine for vegans. Okay, so Dr. Darren Kandow, I keep saying Kandow, it's Kandow. Uh, welcome to the show. And uh, I'm very excited for this conversation because I think uh, specifically talking about creatine in the plant-based and vegan circles is I think something that's met with a lot of uh, confusion, uh, potentially misconceptions, and just general uh lack of knowledge around uh, the substance and, and how it actually uh, operates in the body and how it relates to potentially uh, performance in the gym and maybe some uh, cognitive benefits and, and other benefits as well. So I'm really excited to talk to you because you are the go-to man for all things creatine. Uh, so I would love to kick this one off, Darren, with maybe um, you giving our listeners a bit of a background uh, into who you are and how you actually got into this field of nutrition science. Yeah, no, uh, thanks for having me. And this is, you're right, that area is probably uh, right up there. Does creatine cause baldness is probably right up there with the <laughs> biggest uh, uh, questions. But um, I did a, an undergrad degree in cell biology, and I happened to uh, take a minor in exercise physiology. And my career totally changed. I start to visualize when I was working out things happening in the body and how nutrition was really important for not only muscle hypertrophy, strength, things like that, but for recovery. And then I went on to graduate school and worked with some really fantastic scientists and got involved or heard about this compound called creatine. At the time, it was very important about proteins and carbohydrates. But right about the time in 1992, when Lenford Christie uh, and uh, research came out about creatine um, and the Olympic uh, medalists, that's sort of the explosion. And I've been doing creatine research ever since, geez, 2004 or five uh, uh, in heavy. So obviously almost a, a, a long time ago, uh, about two decades in total. So this is fantastic. Happy to be here and super excited. Yeah, so that's really interesting. So you you sort of started to um, become interested in creatine around '92, did you say? It was it was touted around 1992 when a paper came out by Dr. Roger Harris, which is the most researched and cited study that came out that a creatine loading phase could increase this compound in our muscle. And of course, when you're studying it, you're like, "Geez, if I have more of this in the muscle, could that translate into greater exercise performance?" And then uh, slowly, publications. And athletes started to talk about it, and then it exploded in the early 2000s. It's taken off, and, and there's probably over a thousand peer-reviewed studies on creatine itself. So it, it's got to be the most researched and um, um, backed by science uh, dietary compound that we have. Yeah, and I, I love that. It's always a, it's always a good little. Um, <laughs> Uh, stat to, to mention to people in terms of like, hey, this is probably the, the most well-researched uh, supplement that we have. Um, so, you know, we're pretty confident in uh, its effects on, on, on humans and performance and uh, all that sort of things. Um, so, so before that 92 paper, there wasn't really much going on around creatine. Like this wasn't something that maybe athletes or bodybuilders were experiencing, experimenting with in like the 60s, 70s, 80s. No, it was this, uh, uh, discovered by a French chemist in, in the late 1800s, actually. But with extraction through meat products and things like that, it was typically scientists and biochemists in a lab that were, were toying with it. But then it started to become more prevalent as a dietary compound 
uh, that athletes primarily would consume. We knew it was in red meat and seafood at a high amount. So individuals consuming those food products would get uh, an ample amount probably per day. Uh, but that's very difficult to do. And of course, we'll talk about that, especially for vegans, vegetarians and the plant based uh, community. How do you get the amount needed to shown to be effective? Um, and so it was so much easier for companies to manufacture, commercially manufacture creatine. Um, and then it became a very viable tool and strategy to help augment um, primarily training adaptations. Resistance training is the one at the foremost uh, popularity. Yes. Okay, cool. So I can't wait to dive into that, actually. So I guess um, before we do, maybe we can um, lay some groundwork for the listeners. Uh, I guess probably a lot of them have heard of creatine. Uh, potentially, most of them don't actually know uh, how this this actually operates uh, on like a molecular level and how, you know, it is uh, actually used within the body. So maybe we can um, break down what creatine actually is and what it does. Right. So it's so an excellent way to start. So creatine is an inorganic acid or a lot of people refer to a nitrogen-containing compound. It's in a similar family as protein or amino acids, but we naturally synthesize it through three amino acids in the kidneys and liver, and those amino acids are arginine, glycine, and methionine. And we simply synthesize about two grams per day, and that's an average individual. Uh, but the ironic thing is we excrete in the urine about two grams a day as well uh, through many bodily processes. But the biggest process is probably skeletal muscle turnover. When you're exercising, you actually are breaking down creatine in the muscle and we excrete it. Now, the, the question comes up, if we have more creatine coming in through the diet and or supplementation, well, obviously, if you're only excreting about two grams a day and you have more coming in, you get a net reserve. And there's ample evidence to suggest that if the muscle is in a surplus of dietary creatine, it accumulates over time. And it doesn't take very long to saturate the muscles. It could take as, as early as 28 days. And once they're saturated, a very small amount coming in per day can maintain uh, those uh, beneficial levels, allowing the individual to exercise potentially at a higher capacity. And as we know, if the individual can exercise at a higher training uh, capacity, more intense, uh, they may be able to do more repetitions, run faster, whichever, that could lead to these physiological adaptations and the most prevalent, obviously, is most individuals increase muscle mass, um, increase muscle uh, performance, primarily strength, and there's some evidence it can decrease body fat. So it seems to be a really good adjunct to training. Um, I will preface, though, there's very minimal research that taking creatine uh, without exercise has some beneficial effects. We only see that in elderly individuals at a really high dose. So the average person, if they're healthy, they say, hey, I've heard of creatine. They can get it through their diet. Um, but if, again, if they're a vegan or vegetarian, very difficult, they may have to consider a, a commercially manufactured product. Mm. Yeah. So if like, and this is something that's interesting to me, I haven't um, looked really deep into this, but if we zoom in a little bit on what actually is happening when we're training, um, mm -hmm. And and I'm assuming that creatine, uh, the molecule, is involved with uh, the ATP system in terms of training. Is that correct? And how does how does creatine kind of bolster those those? I guess when we're doing a set of say squats or something like that. Yeah, yeah. So this is a perfect segue. So the whole theory with why this uh, compound became popular is that creatine will substantially increase your in intramuscular creatine stores, and then it becomes phosphorylated. 
And if you've taken high school biology or some uh, uh, university classes, we know that fossil creatine is highly needed to resynthesize ADP to create something called ATP or adenosine triphosphate, which is the energy currency of the cell. So the really fascinating thing with uh, creatine, it increases the amount of creatine in the muscle, but it accelerates the recovery in between sets. So this is really fascinating. If you're doing three to four sets of bench press, squat, or whatever, it may not work in the first set, but it really seems to increase the amount of work done in the subsequent sets compared to placebo. So therefore, on creatine, the same individual can actually do more work, maybe more repetitions and sets compared to someone on placebo, and therefore it increases training capacity. So a massive application for athletes and now uh, obviously exercising individuals. So that's where it sort of blossomed. And then, of course, uh, labs around the world started to look at the, the muscle or the molecular effects, and it seems to have about 10 different um, effects, per se, in the muscle, uh, anywhere from increasing satellite cells to properties of muscle protein synthesis, and, and more importantly, decreasing recovery, or sorry, increasing recovery by way of decreasing inflammation. So it used to be an athletic supplement, but to be honest, the last 20 years, it's totally a medical or health product. It's now being used by pregnant females. Um, it has application for older adults, uh, clinical populations, Vegans and vegetarians respond exceptionally well to creatine because really their muscles only have about 50% of creatine in their muscle compared to an omnivore diet. And when you give them dietary creatine, they get a huge increase in muscle creatine, which translate into uh, an increase in performance. So if you had to ask me a population on the planet that seems to benefit the most, it is uh, vegans and vegetarians. And my guess is with the huge push on plant-based uh, diets that will uh, translate into that as well. Yeah, no, I love that. And and I definitely want to jump into um, dosaging and, and how that potentially mm -hmm. may differ between, you know, an omnivorous diet and a vegetarian or a exclusively plant-based diet. Uh, but before I do, I guess one of the, the common um, misconceptions that, uh, you know, if I was to chat to any you know person on the street who may not be in the fitness industry, um, they would probably associate creatine with some kind of performance enhancing drug. Do you know mm -hmm. where this uh, kind of notion has has stemmed from? And can you speak to, I guess, the safety of creatine uh, in in sort of daily use? Yeah, and this question gets come up all the time: Is creatine a steroid? Is it a pad? No, it's not. It's a naturally occurring compound synthesized in the body. And when they're manufactured, they're primarily uh, vegan based. It's just three amino acids, arginine, glycine, and methionine. But to be honest, the effects were so positive in the majority of people. People just concluded that it had to be a drug-like or steroid-like property. Uh, and the gains uh, that were seeming to increase uh, the training uh, parameters were very, very beneficial. Um, but again, it's not a steroid. It's not a performing enhancing drug. It's a supplement or what you can get through your diet that can enhance training performance. But again, without training, you get minimal uh, beneficial effects, maybe in the brain. We can talk about that later with co uh, concussion and, and cognition. But uh, taking creatine like a Flintstone vitamin probably won't cause you any greater effects. Right. Um, and, and so there's so many myths and misconceptions about creatine, probably because a lot of people think it's too good to be true. Mm. A, a question I did I did have, and I just thought about this, is if we look at the specific population of, of vegans and, and plant-based eaters, uh, 
considering they don't have a large intake of creatine, you know, through their dietary intake, would they actually benefit from taking creatine, uh, um, like just just how you mentioned, um, without training, is there any benefit to creatine uh, for that particular population? Yeah. So one of the biggest factors that dictates the responsiveness to creatine is your initial creatine in the muscle. So let's do an example. If an omnivore uh, individual who eats meat or seafood on a regular basis, their creatine stores just say is 80% for sake of argument. A vegan or vegetarian might be only at 50% capacity. So even if they don't exercise, they're going to elevate their intramuscular creatine. But we mm. also know that creatine is dispersed across other tissues such as bone and the brain. So my thought is if they don't exercise, they probably won't get any muscle or bone beneficial effects. However, uh, accumulating research is still suggesting that from the neck up, you may not need exercise to get some of the beneficial effects from creatine. So, for example, sleep deprivation, concussion, mal-traumatic brain injury, uh, um, creatine seems to work independent of exercise from the neck up. But from the neck down, you pretty much need exercise. It may have some anti-inflammatory effects, but the totality of research suggests that exercise has to be there to unlock the magic of creatine, at least from the neck down. Okay. Yeah, that's really cool. So if we if we take an example of, you know, a listener that's listening to this this episode and they go, Yep, cool. I'm I'm ready to start taking creatine. Uh what would they expect to see if they, you know, say they have a really well structured training program, their diet's, you know, pretty much in place in terms of they're taking in recommended dosages of protein per day, um, they're recovering well, sleeping well, and you know, they're training with a significant amount of volume and uh throughout their muscle groups, what would they particularly expect to see uh, when they start, well, once they've reached that kind of muscle saturation point uh, of creatine uh, in the muscle? Yeah. And are you asking from a vegan or plant-based individual or an omnivore? Um, more so, I guess more so, I guess for the listeners here, um, that would be generally plant-based and vegan. So maybe yeah. from that perspective, but I guess, I guess the question more so pertains to uh, I think a lot of the time when people start taking creatine, they expect um, some kind of feeling like, oh, I feel better. I feel it working just like they, they yeah. feel when they take a pre-workout and they feel caffeine hitting, right? But creatine, I mean, in my experience, doesn't have that effect. So what might they expect to see? And maybe maybe they would see um, some changes more so on the performance realm. Right. Yeah. So we'll t I'm, I'm sure we're going to talk about dosing because that is hugely yep. important, especially for vegetarians. Because a lot of uh, questions about water retention and ways to alleviate that. Mm. But since creatine accumulates in the muscle, it's not like caffeine where it's a drug effect. It accumulates in the muscle and it can take about three to four weeks to notice any significant effects. There has been a few studies that in a few weeks of creatine at high dosages, muscle strength seems to go up first. The bit, they get a significant increase in muscle mass. It could take as, about three to four weeks of continuous training. So my recommendation when I tell research participants is that you should start to notice some effects after a couple weeks, if not about a month. Um, but the one that you may notice is an increase in training capacity. You're probably doing more repetitions week to week on end. You may be getting stronger. And then over time, muscle protein synthesis uh, starts to occur. And then you'll probably get an increase in muscle mass 
and flipping that, you probably might start to see a decrease in body fat or fat mass at the same time where muscles growing and the body fat uh, can be being energetically uh, predisposed that way. So mm-hmm. unlike caffeine, you know, 60 minutes, you usually get a stimulating effect. Creatine doesn't really work like that. You gotta yeah. have a little bit of patience, but again, a few weeks is not a long time to wait. Yeah. So from like sort of just dovetailing off that, when we look at the hypertrophy outcomes of creatine, mm-hmm. um, the question I have for you is, is that hypertrophy or muscle growth is that as a result of being able to perform more repetitions and therefore more volume within a training session? Or is there something more specific that is actually resulting in an increased uh, amount of muscle protein synthesis after taking creatine? Yeah, excellent question. And I think this is crucial for the listeners. So um, you can get an increase in muscle hypertrophy or a, what I call dry muscle mass but it can take a few weeks as we talked about. Now, here's the kicker. A lot of people talk about creatine and water retention. Well, one of the biggest mechanisms of creatine is that it draws water from the bloodstream. It's very osmotic. It draws water from the bloodstream inside the muscle. So it's a myth that creatine leads to extracellular total total body water retention for the long term. It could be acute, and we'll talk about how that uh, uh, it is. But if you drag water into the muscle, it starts to swell and send signals to many things called satellite cells, transcription factors, uh, pathways in muscle protein synthesis. So for the longest time, we thought creatine was only involved in that PCR ATP system. And now it seems to have a whole bunch of muscle hypertrophy or anabolic processes. Mm. So to answer your question, yes, it actually has other capabilities to increase muscle mass. But just as important there, we think creatine is anti-catabolic. It decreases the breakdown or the inflammatory uh, environment that the muscle is in. So when you add the two, you get an anabolic growth perspective, but you also get a greater recovery or anti-inflammatory effect, allowing the muscle to train at a higher capacity. So there has been some studies to suggest that uh, when they looked at placebo, there was no greater increase in training capacity. Mm-hmm. However, the individuals on creatine still increase muscle mass and strength more. So we think it has the ability to increase training capacity, but we also definitely know it has some molecular effects as well. Now, a lot of the studies that I've seen uh, on creatine are generally in, in participants participating in resistance training, yeah, weight training. Right. So have you seen research, and I've, and I've, I've I mean, I've seen this throughout my own um, nutrition studies myself as, as recommendations, but I mean, have you seen any research specifically to endurance athletes? Because I know we have a lot of endurance athletes listen to this as well, or at least people who um, participate in both strength sports and endurance um, activity. I'm wondering if uh, the same effects can be uh, seen in long distance exercise or long, long uh, duration exercise, I should say. Yeah, and this is a cool area with creatine. Probably only in the last decade have we got really excited that there's uh, accumulating research that it has huge benefits for the aerobic or endurance type of athlete. So one thing is where it drags water into the muscle. Creatine is a super hydrating compound, unlike a big myth that it dehydrates you and leads to muscle cramping. It's the opposite. Creatine actually decreases dehydration, so it actually causes a huge benefit in hot environments. Secondly, any of the endurance athletes listening that do high-intensity interval training, intermittent sports, 
or a high volume of repetitions. Creatine has been now shown to be very effective, primarily in, in aerobic sports that recruit type 2 muscle fibers a lot, and HIIT training really comes to mind. Mm. But the big one we're starting to see is the anti-inflammatory effect. And some really good studies have come out in Ironman, uh, a long distance uh, events and triathlon, that if you take creatine before the event, you have a decrease in things called cytokines or inflammatory markers after the event, allowing you to recover more. So I immediately think of the CrossFit games. I think that's a huge task to the body. A lot of individuals are training that are listening here three, four, maybe six times a week, twice a day. I think creatine is now being looked at as a compound for all types of exercise. The only types of, of exercise that may not benefit is when it's weight dependent. And, and a caveat here is that you can get around the increase in the acute uh, weight uh, um, again if you modify the dosage of creatine coming in. So for a marathon runner, they may not want to put on three or four pounds because obviously an increase in surface area, but you can adjust that dosage to reduce the amount of, of water gain or weight gain. Um, so it has huge benefits to recovery and potentially even performance. Mm, mm. Well, I guess that probably is a, um, a, a decent segue to sort of cover off on some of these, uh, I guess, misconceptions and uh, side effects around creatine supplementation. Um, and I guess one you touched on there is is the water retention side of things. And, and you kind of already have spoken to that a little bit, but I think a lot of people do have that um, fear of weight gain uh, when yes. taking creatines. So maybe what would be the recommendation of, you know, um, I guess it, not so much minimizing that, uh, mm -hmm. but also maybe some recommendations on like, hey, when would be a good time to, to take that so that doesn't affect um, whatever training modality you're into and then, of course, I think from my readings uh, or from my listings of, of your work already, Darren, is that if you are gaining water weight, this is potentially a good thing. So maybe you can speak to that. Yeah, and we think all this is primarily based on the type of dosing strategy you use. So for a lot of listeners, there's like, oh, I heard you gain a whole bunch of weight. So the most common strategy is the loading phase. And a lot of listeners would have heard this before. And that's where 20 grams a day for about five to seven days seems to saturate the muscle. And that goes back to Roger Harris's 1992 paper. Now, the cool thing with that strategy is very effective for the athlete needing a really rapid boost or maximizing uh, their muscle sores. That's very effective. But the downfall, the loading phase can increase body mass by about one to three kilograms. Wow. And this is equal across sex, males or females. And we find that females really don't like that feeling and it can fluctuate based on the follicular or luteal phase. Mm. So a lot of females withdraw from the study, uh, which is very unfortunate. So we've had a lot of research based on modifying that type of strategy. And again, it's an accumulating compound. So in our lab, we like to use a relative dose and it's based on the kilogram or the size of the individual. And we use 0.1 grams per kilogram. So if an individual goes on the scale and they're 50 kilograms, they're only getting five grams a day. If an athlete's 100 kilograms, they're getting 10. And the reason being is the larger the size, we think there's more transporters or doorways in the muscle so they can utilize more of that uh, creatine. It's very similar to caffeine. It's based on milligrams mm. per kilogram. The really fascinating thing with uh, that uh, relative dose is it's very effective, results in hardly any water retention in the acute phase, and it causes individuals to adhere or comply to the program. 
uh, and we don't see any adverse effects on liver or kidney function. The third strategy, which has also been very effective, and it's the lowest dose ever been shown to be effective, is simply three grams a day, no loading phase, right out of the gate. So someone says, hey, I just want to take this for health benefits. You can get up three grams a day is probably a half a teaspoon to a quarter teaspoon. You can mix it in yogurt, water, whichever it is, and just take it. And in, in as little as 28 days, you will start to maximize your muscle gains with that as well. So I think the loading phase is primarily for athletes. Everybody else listening that's just doing it for the muscle and potentially bone health and brain health gains uh, and overall health, do the, uh, the relative loading, uh, sorry, the relative dose without a loading phase. That's simply 0.1 grams per day. Or if you want to start really small, uh, three grams a day as well. The lower the dose, potentially more frequent throughout the day will result in, in minimal water retention. And I think that's probably one of the main reasons, specifically females, they don't really respond or like the feeling of creatine. So, so just to summarize there, you mentioned uh, taking the relative dose of 0.1 grams per kilo uh, won't actually result in, in significant water retention. Is that correct? That's correct. It gets into the muscle, but a lot of people say they don't notice the bloating effect during the first week. And that's fantastic because mm. for compliance, uh, maintaining the the, um, the training over weeks and weeks is really, really good that way. Yeah. And, and I know that even from personal experience, like this is years and years ago when I first started taking creatine and the recommendation was the loading phase. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I I think I remember having some pretty, uh, <laughs> some pretty uh, horrible like gut distress from taking that dose as well. So I think that potentially is one thing to look out for if you're looking at doing the the loading phase too, am I correct? Yeah, and again, remember, we only synthesize about two grams a day. And so, oh, geez, 20 grams, 10 times as much as we're, obviously some people can uh, react. So GI tract irritation or bloating is a very common effect during the first week. It does subside though, your body does acclimatize. Why? Because after about five days of the loading, it's typically recommended to reduce that dose to about three to five grams a day. So obviously it's a small amount, but people say, hey, I'm not an athlete. I'm just doing it for health reasons. There's no reason that you have to load. You can start very small and it does accumulate in the body over time. Mm. And I love your recommendation of that relative dosing. Um, And I actually recommend that to clients now and have posted about it to my community as well. Interestingly enough, though, it does get a bit of a pushback in regards to, oh, that's that's too large of a dose, you know, for a, uh, you know, a 90 kilogram lifter, that's nine grams a day. So I guess the question for you, Darren, is, is there any downsides to taking too much creatine um, if, if, say, someone was taking a little bit more um, than they potentially are synthesizing? Yeah, the only downfall is that once the muscle is saturated in the bone and brain tissue has accumulated, you'll just be excreting it in the urine. So Mm. the majority of the loading phase is actually excreted in the urine after the third day. And financially and compliance, you're like, oh, why would I want to uh, dump it down the toilet? Whereas relative dosage, a lot more is retained and obviously a, a smaller amount as well. So there's not a really a big downside to creatine. You just excrete it through the kidneys. Mm-hmm. And obviously, a lot of people say, hey, I went to my doctor. I had blood work. And my creatinine levels, which is a byproduct of creatine, were really high. What does that mean? I'm like, well, you should tell them you're on creatine supplementation, and that's an indication that it's working from a creatine, creatinine turnover. So there's not a lot of downside. If anything, you'll just excrete it in the urine. Mm. 
And I had one final question, I guess, around the dosing, um, and yeah. that's specifically relating to vegans and vegetarians, uh, because we know that they don't have a huge intake in their diet, uh, and we know omnivores, like you mentioned before, are potentially taking around two grams a day through, yeah. you know, red meat and seafood. When we look at that dosage, if if vegans don't take any, uh, aren't really getting in their diet already. Is there like, I guess my, my thought process is, is there a potential benefit for them to take a lower dose because they will be maybe more hypersensitive to creatine? hundred percent. So that's what I was going to recommend. I think for the vegans and vegetarians listening, start with three to five grams a day. I, I don't think you should do the loading phase uh, unless you're, it's a specific reason. Start with three grams and you can divide that up into 1.5 grams uh, twice a day. Uh, but three grams is pretty small. Uh, if you're ever wondering where this five gram re- general recommendation came, it's simply we excrete two grams a day and the lowest dose ever been shown to be effective is three. So the net difference was five. And, and that's really where it's come from. So if you want to do the a standard uh, a five gram a day, that's fantastic. Maybe have two and a half grams before your workout after we may talk about does the timing of ingestion matter, which is a really interesting topic. Um, but you can spread it out throughout the day. Um, a lot of people take it in one bolus dose, but again, it depends on the dosage that you're doing. I will say the relative dose, uh, you know, when you get up around eight or nine grams a day, a lot of our older adults just take it once, no adverse effects, but a lot of people say, Hey, can I break this up and put it in yogurt in the morning? And then maybe in a smoothie after I was at hundred percent, there's no reason. Uh, and there's no evidence to suggest you can't break it up multiple times a day. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Um, and I guess one one of the other uh, uh, questions I had is just around the. I guess this is one you've you've talked about a whole bunch, and is the the misconception of of hair loss with creatine. Mm-hmm. And and to be honest, I hadn't seen a lot of this, but I know that there is um, there is that kind of myth going around. Uh, and and I did actually have a look into some of the research on that, and it was quite interesting to see how that was extrapolated into into hair loss. So maybe we can speak to that just for a moment, just so we can kind of dispel that one and put people at ease around the their hair. <laughs> yeah, it, it's the question I get the most. They look at me and like, oh, you have receding hair. And I said, well, I started to lose that before creatine, but it, it's a valid question because um, a study was published uh, in rugby players. It, it's famous. It's probably the most famous uh, creatine study that gets talked about right. next to the seminal work. And all they, these individuals, they were young males and they took a really high dose, 25 grams of creatine a day for seven days. And then they measured a hormone called dihydroxytestosterone or DHT, which is a precursor for follicle thinning and follicle death. So the theory was, well, if you increase this hormone that has been previously linked to hair loss, it's obviously a slam dunk. If you increase the hormone, you're going to lose hair and and go bald. And and as a preface, for those who have access to this study, please note they never measured anything or measured anything about hair thinning, hair loss, hair damage, anything. They simply measured this hormone. And for those in the physiology related, hormones fluctuate all the day. You can have an increase in some hormone, but it does not correlate to an increase in muscle protein synthesis. So it's uh, taken with a grain of salt. The cool thing with this study, though, that often gets overlooked is it was a crossover design. That means the individuals took placebo and creatine. And when they took uh, placebo, the rate of increase just wasn't as high. However, they were all performing exercise 
and exercise is a very viable potent stimulant for DHT. So the interesting thing is even when they were on creatine, the increase in DHT was still within the physiological range. When you go to the doctor and they measure your cholesterol or blood glucose, there's always a range and it was within it. So again, it's still the number one question we get. We say there's no evidence that creatine causes hair thinning or loss. And I'll put it in context. I've probably had a thousand research stub or subjects run through my lab over the 20 years that I've been looking at creatine. And not a single uh, uh, individual, male or female, said, hey, Dr. Candle, I don't know if I should continue this because my hair is thinning. I have to believe if that was a side effect and people report side effects all the time for exercise or whichever, if, if people were experiencing hair thinning, they would definitely uh, uh, per, uh, um, um, suggested it. And when I talk to my colleagues, they say it never gets brought up. So I know on social media, it's a very common thing, but as it stands right now, there is no evidence that creatine causes hair thinning or baldness. Well, there's a great summary there, Darren. So I guess that now we I want to cover the, the real, the big question people want to know is how do they take it? So, mm -hmm. you know, uh, we've got the dosage down. Maybe we take that relative dosage of, of 0.1 grams per kilogram, or we start a little bit lower, three to five grams a day. Um, and, and but the question, yeah, that often is is asked is like, how do I take it? Do I take it pre workout? Is that the best way? Do I take it post workout? Do I have to take it with something food with carbohydrates? All of these questions come into it. Uh, and then a question that I asked you recently um, over Instagram was, can we take it in in food that is hot? Does that change how yes. it's uh, affects in the body? Yes, so, whether it's heated um, or cooled. A bit of preface the the only that's correct. Yeah. So. The, the type of creatine which you should only consider is creatine monohydrate. Um, there's a lot of other scams and purported types out there that are super expensive. They've never been shown to be better than monohydrate. So for the viewers, please only stick with monohydrate. Now, the issue with monohydrate, it's typically in powder form. And so the solubility of the powder, some people say, oh, it's kind of gritty or whichever. You can heat up any solution if you like and put it in there. Um, we'll talk about caffeine in a little bit because there's a caveat with caffeine. Um, but creatine can be mixed with water. Any food, if you heat the solution or food, it will help um, increase the solubility. But that does not influence the bioavailability or the amount of creatine that gets in the blood and then taken up to the demanding tissues. So it doesn't really matter the strategy. Please be very cautious of creatine and solution. The evidence does not support creatine being suspended in solution. It gets degraded to creatinine. So, again, make sure it's powder form. Um, and the other so big thing you, is, is – Sorry, just really quickly, yeah. Darren. Is that, are you saying uh, creatine in solution in the terms of like ready-to-drink products? That is correct. And it can take about up to 40 days to degrade in water potentially. But in these ready-mixed drinks, we don't know how long they've been. And if they're added in with other chemicals – um, such as uh, carbonation, we're not sure with that. Okay. Um, and so make sure the creatine that you're buying is actually creatine or it has a creatine molecule. But again, going to your point about the timing, as it stands right now, the timing is kind of irrelevant. You can take it at any time of the day, but some studies do suggest that creatine right before exercise, during or after, are probably very viable uh, I, or, uh, strategies to consume creatine because we think the muscle contractions increase blood flow and sensitivity of the muscle. So a lot of people say, I want to divide up my creatine dosage into two. 
I say take half before you work out and half after. You can take the entire amount after. And now there's been some studies that have looked at creatine in the morning and evening. There's no difference, no greater benefits. So again, when you look at the totality of research, it doesn't really matter when you take it, just take it. Um, and it even sh suggests that you can take creatine on your resting or non-training days and that will help accumulate in the muscle as well. Mm. I just love the simplicity of that. And I think uh, a lot of the time, you know, when you actually start to look at a, a large body of evidence around a particular subject, it often does come back to a, a lot of really simple strategies for people yes. to implement. And, uh, you know, just the, the nutrition and like well, supplement industries love to confuse people and make it a lot more complex mm -hmm. than it needs to be. But basically the, the, the summary I get from that is basically just take it, take it on a daily basis, yeah. uh, wherever you take it, it probably isn't going to make the, the biggest difference, but potentially around your workout is a yeah. good time to do it. Now you mentioned uh, caffeine there. So yes. that may be a, a potential reason not to take it pre-workout if you're having caffeine. Now, can we uh, uh, sort of extrapolate that one for the listeners a little bit? Yes. So the, the, the research is controversial and there's only a small body of research. So when you take creatine, uh, if you were to load, for example, and then take a bolus dose of caffeine, it doesn't really seem to interfere with one another. However, the better research suggests that if you take creatine on a daily basis and caffeine on a daily basis, when it comes time to testing or whatever, they seem to oppose one another. And the best research su suggests that they sort of play tug of war with calcium inside the cell. So a lot of pre-works typically have creatine and caffeine. Now, the dose in these products is low, so we think they don't really interfere with one another. The studies mm -hmm. that have shown an interference effect are usually higher dose. Mm -hmm. So the pre-workout dosages are fine. And again, in most pre-workouts, they have other compounds as well. I would probably never mix uh, my creatine in hot coffee just based on some of the mechanisms. So I say cre or caffeine is a pre-workout. You could have coffee, tea, or a pre-workout before, and then you may want to take your creatine after. Or the best thing with creatine, take it any time of the day. Uh, caffeine doesn't make any more sense to take it after exercise. You want to have that adenosine uh, antagonist effect before. So again, when you look at all the research, there's minimal research to suggest that they interfere with one another over the long term. But I do say a bit of caution. The, although it's minimal, there is some research to suggest they can. So I say, why take the chance? Maybe spread them out if, 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 as much as possible. Yeah, that's a great summary. And I guess finally, to kind of uh, wrap up the questions around specifically how we how we take creatine and its effects, my question is, what happens when, you, when we miss a day? You know, uh, yes. cr taking creatine is... is it, it needs to become a habit. And for a lot of people, it's one of those things that we, and I do it myself. I miss a day here and there. I go away for a weekend. I miss two days. Uh, is that going to affect muscle saturation long-term? And I guess as a follow-up to that question, Darren, is do we need to take periods off creatine? Would that be of any benefit? Excellent question. So unlike caffeine, if I mean, um, uh, if you take caffeine away from me, it's a train wreck. <laughs> but the cool yeah. thing with creatine it accumulates in the muscle. So again, as we talked about in the, uh, the onset, if it takes about 28 days, depending on the dosage to accumulate, the really cool thing with creatine, even if you stop cold turkey, it takes about four weeks for your levels to come back to baseline. 
So if you miss a day, no problem whatsoever. It's just like a fat soluble vitamin, no problem. Right. So with that, people said, oh, can I cycle creatine? Do I need to? There is no evidence to suggest you need to cycle. And if you want to take periods or short periods off of creatine, just remember those benefits are probably going to last for at least 28 days. You're not going to deflate and come back to baseline. So again, you get the added bonus that is still in the body. Mm. Awesome. That's a, yeah, that's a great rundown there. I think, uh, I think we need to stop looking at creatine like it's some kind of steroid that you have to cycle on mm-hmm. and off um, and, and, and just continue taking it for its benefits there. Yeah. Um, awesome, Darren. So I guess I guess to finish up here, mate, I would love to hear a little bit about what you're doing in the lab mm-hmm. um, and potentially if you've got anything coming up over the next year or so that you're really excited about in terms of creatine research or or even other evidence that's coming out from other labs. Um, yeah, what's, what's, uh, what are you looking forward to this year? Yeah, in the last uh, uh, decade or so, our emphasis is, is sort of focused to aging adults and, and postmenopausal females. And so we have a couple really long-term studies uh, coming out showing the beneficial effects of creatine is up to two years continuous dosage uh, with supervised resistance training on bone health in postmenopausal females. So that has a massive implications for osteoporosis. And so we have a whole bunch of studies always going on in younger and older individuals. Um, but the big push right now is our research on the neck up. We're really starting to become interested in concussion and mild traumatic brain injury. Uh, the brain is very resistant to creatine supplementation. So a lot of listeners probably have read that you need a higher dose for a longer period of time for it to accumulate in the brain. And that seems to be true. Um, but the, the infancy of research seems to be really promising, um, so this could have massive implications for Parkinson's disease and other neurodegenerative diseases as well, memory, sleep deprivation, and then the mental health aspects. We don't know the effects of, of COVID. Could creatine offset any of the, the mental health impacts of a future pandemic? These are areas that we're really interested in. So this, these, are, these are areas of research that uh, don't necessarily include resistance training as, as part of the, the – um, the application is just like, hey, we're looking at, at brain function here. Can a high dose affect, you know, how we how we perform cognitively? Yeah. Is that correct? Yeah, and and that's a great segue. Like, could creatine by itself be potentially therapeutic? What if you added in exercise? We know the huge cognitive and brain beneficial effects of exercise. So, could that combination that we've typically looked at from the neck down have just as beneficial effects? Um, so this is probably for the next 10 years, we're going to be focusing on a whole, a whole body approach. Uh, and the other big area is depression and anxiety. There's some good research coming out on how creatine decreases depression. Um, so that has huge implications from a global health perspective. Yeah, that's really exciting, Dan. I'll be looking forward to seeing uh, yeah, more of that stuff coming out. And I know that you share a lot of that uh, on your Instagram page as yes. well. Um, and uh, I'll, I'll, let you, I'll let you take the floor and sort of let people know where to find you but before you do that is there any sort of final um thoughts or remarks you had in regards to creatine supplementation for specifically vegans and vegetarians or did you feel like we we covered that pretty well for that population i think for vegans and vegetarians a a big myth is that they need uh, a whole bunch of dietary supplements and obviously it's a healthy way a lifestyle you're exercising very capably and, and at a high level already Uh, But if you're considering creatine, make sure it's creatine monohydrate from a a reputable source. Um, Obviously, you're not going to be getting it from red meat and seafood. And again, most products are vegan based. 
Um, but again, make sure it's certified safe that you're just getting pure creatine monohydrate. And then again, start with the low dosing uh, um, phase. And there's a lot of good papers that have looked at creatine in vegetarians and vegans out there. It's a good starting point. Uh, but other than that, it, it seems to be an overall health uh, a compound that a lot of people can consider. And again, to the safety profile, there's no adverse effects if taken at a recommended dosage. So you could, you should feel safe that it's a very effective, uh, safe compound. Again, we naturally synthesize it. So that's probably why it seems to be so viable for the human body. Oh, that's perfect, Darren. Thank you for clarifying that one. So uh, to finish up, mate, where can people find you um, if they want to get in touch or if you've got any other um, uh bits of content coming out in the future that you want people to be aware of? Yeah, just like everybody else, uh, Instagram seems to be the most viable source. We try to post a lot of our articles and, and uh, speaking events. So my handle is at Dr. Darren Kando. Uh, so on Instagram, at Dr. Darren Kando. Please follow me. I try to put out a lot of information that's evidence-based research, yeah. which is another big key. Um, so yeah, happy to, if you want to follow me, that'd be great. This has been brilliant, Darren. Thank you so much for your time. And I know the listeners will really benefit. And, and hopefully we see a lot more vegans, vegetarians uh, getting on the creatine bandwagon and uh, benefiting in terms of their, their training and uh, cognitive health because of it. Thanks so much. Wow. What an episode. I absolutely love that one. Really deep dive into creatine. I hope you got some clear takeaways. I hope you now further understand what creatine is, what it can do, what the dose to take. And the reality is that it's very safe and very beneficial for vegans, vegetarians, reducitarians. If you love the episode, the best thing you can do is to share it with a friend. I don't really care about how many listens we get. I don't really care about making money off this thing. This thing is about sharing quality information. And to be honest, guys, the guests we are having are world-class guests. You don't see these guys on every single podcast uh, because these are guys at the ground level doing the work, the researchers, the experts, uh, and we are very, very, very fortunate to have them on the podcast. So share it with a friend who might enjoy it, who wants to go a little deeper into the science, into the realities, uh, into what the research says on these specific topics. That's it from me. I hope you're well. I hope you're training well and uh, eating all the good stuff. We'll see you in the next one, Plant Friends. Catch up.